Welcome to worship at Providence Presbyterian Church on this Sunday, July 12, 2020. We are located at 2401 Broad Avenue. We ask you to please wear a face covering and maintain social distancing while here at worship. For those of you who do not feel comfortable yet attending church or have underlying health concerns, we would like to remind you that our podcast will still be available on the website, www.providencepc-altoona.org, as well as on the phone at one 857 385-7521. Instead of the ushers passing the collection plates during the service, there are two collection boxes located on the registers in the back of the sanctuary to place your offering. If you prefer, you may mail your offering to the church office. We thank those of you who are financially able to support the church at this time. It truly is a blessing in enabling us to keep current in paying church expenses. Anyone who has any kind of need, groceries, financial help, or otherwise, please contact the church office and we will see what we can do to help meet your needs. Now, let us prepare our hearts for worship as we listen to the prelude.
By his word of power, God created the heavens and the earth. By his word of love, he gave us his only son, our Lord. By his word of grace, he restores and encourages us daily. Come, let us receive the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Eternal God, from whom we have come, to whom we belong, and with whom we will one day dwell, who else in heaven and on earth shall receive your praise? To whom else can we go in our time of need? Hear our prayers and our praises, and may we know we are totally yours. Amen. Let us join together in our prayer of confession. Gracious God, have mercy upon us as we make our confession. We question your judgment when your will conflicts with our own. We are reluctant to follow the course you prescribe. Our patience grows thin when you intrude in life's journey, causing us to veer from the path we pursue. We seek to be faithful and obey your directions, but our own desires delay us in fulfilling your will. Have mercy upon us and deliver us from self-deception. Let us remain in a moment of silent confession. Paul assures us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us according to God's will. In Jesus Christ, God calls us and God conforms us to Christ so that in Him we receive the promise of new life. As we dwell in the Spirit, let us also rest assured in the promise. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. 
What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here ends our reading from God's word, and may he bless it to our hearts and our lives. Amen. This morning, before we begin to look more closely at the Bible reading I have just read, I'd like us to remember a familiar passage of Scripture found in the Gospel of John, chapter 753 through chapter 811. And it's the story of Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery. As you remember, there was a woman who was caught in adultery. In fact, the literal Greek says she was caught in the very act of adultery. And she's taken by the teachers of the law and by the Pharisees and brought before Jesus, who is teaching in the temple court. And they're really not that interested in legalities. I mean, if they truly were, it would not just be the woman there, but it would be the man also, because the law of Moses required both the male and the woman be stoned to death for the crime of adultery. But somehow the man isn't here. It's just the woman. They bring her before Jesus, and the purpose is not true righteousness, their purpose is to catch Jesus in saying something wrong. If Jesus says not to stone her, they will accuse him of breaking the law of Moses. Although by that time uh, in Judaism, most people actually weren't stoned to death. They, they found other punishments around this. But if Jesus said, don't stone her, they would say, oh, he doesn't keep the law of Moses. But on the other hand, if he did say stoner to death, then they would have brought him up for, with charges before the Romans who forbid the Jews from, you know, legal punishment on their own. So they're just there to, to catch Jesus up in what he says. But this morning, I'd like you to focus on the woman. I want you to imagine what she was thinking what she was feeling as she stood there in the midst. They hauled her before Jesus. They made her stand in the midst of the crowd. And they said, you know, they already had the stones in their hands. 
Stoning was a slow process. You didn't just die with one lucky blow, you died from the repeated blows as the blunt force trauma eventually brought about your demise. And so there she is standing, probably she has her eyes closed, waiting for the first stones to hit her. She stands there and she hears them saying, you know, teacher, now this woman, we caught her in the very act of adultery. Uh, The law of Moses requires that we stone to death people like this. What do you say? She wondered what Jesus would say. Probably quivering in fear. She hears Jesus say, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. And as I said, she's waiting there for the impact of the first stone to to hit her, to be followed by many more stones. But first, there's just quiet. She hears first one by one and then in a group the sound of the stones falling from the hands of those who came accusing her. She opens her eyes. and Jesus says, Woman, where are all those who have accused you? Has no one condemned you? She looks around in astonishment. She says, No one, Lord. And Jesus says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Something of that same air of surprised relief that this woman experienced at that moment also pervades this closing section of this amazing chapter of Romans, chapter 8. We look around to see who has condemned us for our sins, and we discover that they are all gone. Four times the question is asked, And each time, the implied answer is resounding. Who is against us? No one. God, after all, has given us his son and will give us all things with him. Who will bring a charge against us? No one. God himself has justified us, has already declared us to be in the right. Who will condemn us? No one. Jesus has died been raised and exalted and intercedes for us. Who will separate us from his love? No one. This time there are many contenders that might try, but the note of victory sounds out. That neither this, neither than anything in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, these closing verses of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, form an inclusion, sort of brackets or bookends, along with chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. They they summarize on both sides the theme presented in these uh, four chapters, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And they present a step-by-step argument 
But this comes to a point with a thrilling rhetorical statement that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in King Jesus. Look what God has done for us. Look at what the Messiah has done and is still doing even as we speak. Look around and see the many things that threaten to separate us from the powerful love that reaches out through the cross and the resurrection and learn that they are all beaten foes. We need to learn to dance and sing for joy to celebrate the victory of God. The end of Romans chapter 8 deserves to be written in letters of fire on the living tablets of our hearts. Now let's just take a few minutes to look a little more specifically at these verses at the end of chapter 8 of Romans. They start with verse 31, which states, What then shall we say in response to these things? What are the things that the apostle is talking about? These include all that Paul has been saying in chapters 5 through 8. In fact, it could be said that these things include all that he has said in chapters 1 through 8. Now, the following verses from 31 through 39 are divided into two sections. One, justification before God because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ, in verses 31 through 34. Then two, justification is rooted in the love of God and of Christ, verses 35 through 39. Now, verses 31 through 34 form a courtroom scene with the apostle using a lot of legal language of his day. In this essence, what he's saying, the day will come when we will have to face the judgment of God for all the sins we have committed against God's holiness. God is a God of justice and cannot let sin go unpunished. And Satan, who is the accuser of humanity, is there as the prosecuting attorney presenting all of our offenses before God. Says they are guilty. They deserve eternal punishment. Jesus is our defense lawyer. And he presents before God the fact that our, all our sins have already been atoned for, have been punished, forgiven through the death and resurrection of himself. God in his great love therefore declares that we are now and forever forgiven of all our sins. Verses 35 through 39 address the follow-up issue. Just as we are beginning to feel relief from the words found in verses 31 through 34, the question may assault our mind. Wait! I have already been, if I've already been forgiven by the love of God, then why have I, or why am I, going through so many trials and heartaches? Do these mean that I have somehow fallen from the love of God? Paul resoundingly tells us that nothing in all of creation, all the trials that he mentions are trials that he himself and all believers go through. He says nothing in creation is able to separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now considering this triumphal section of scripture, and Paul's, take once again look at Paul's words, 
How should we respond to this? Well, there are two things we as Christians need to do in response to these words found in verses 31 through 39. The first is to offer up with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, praises and worship of our God for his incredible love for us that has forgiven us, has restored us to right relationship with him, has made us members of his family. Jesus is our older brother. One day he will return and we will be with God for eternity. Praise and worship should mark our lives each and every day, even in the midst of, even in spite of the trials we are going through. Yes, there will be difficult days, difficult times when it will be harder to praise, but at all times we are to praise God. You say, well, I just don't feel like praising. That's okay. You don't have to feel like praising. You can still offer up praise to God. You can say, you know, even if you're not feeling it, you can say to God, God, I offer you my praise and my thanks because you have forgiven my sins through Jesus Christ, your Son, my Lord and Savior. And I worship you. I offer up myself to you, my, my mouth, my mind, my life, to, to praise you and worship you all the days of my earthly life and for eternity to come. The second thing we are called to do in response to these verses is to live a Christ-like life in our daily living. Now, this is very different than what most people think. Most people think we try to live a godly life so that God will forgive us to earn our salvation. That's 180 degrees opposed to the correct way of understanding. The idea is we could not live a Christ-like life by our own power. All we are capable of doing is falling short of God's standard, but praise God through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven and we are restored to right relationship with God. And in gratitude for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, we endeavor each day to live in a way that would be pleasing to God, that we would try to live as Christ would live in our daily lives. Do we attain to it perfectly each and every day? <laughs> very, very rarely, if ever, do we completely do it on any day. Some days we do better than others. Three day, you know, Some days it's three steps forward and two steps back, but there are other days that aren't that good. But the idea is each day we strive by the enabling power of the Spirit of God to live as we know Christ would have us live. And by doing so, we also by our lives as well as by our words present praise and worship to God. And by our way of living, we share the gospel not just with words, but with our lives that others might be drawn to Jesus Christ. And to God will be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. Now let us join together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let us prepare our hearts for prayer. Gracious God, whose love reaches down to us in troubled waters, whose mercy lifts us up when we are sinking, and whose forgiveness heals when we fail, reach out to us now as we come to you in prayer and strengthen us for the challenges which are ahead. We raise our prayers of intercession today for those who are troubled, whose lives seem constantly disturbed, whose journey in this world is very much like a long journey on a stormy sea. We pray for those who have financial difficulties, who never seem to catch up in life, much less get ahead. We pray, Father, for justice in the wage scale, for wisdom in handling funds, for self-control in making expenditures, for the skills and perseverance necessary for advancement and for a healthy economic climate in our community. We pray for those who have emotional problems, who live each day with anxiety, who must often live under the shadow of ridicule and lack of understanding from others. Help them, Father, to find confidence in themselves and in your love. Enable them to greet each morning with expectation and each task with new vigor. We pray for those who have continuing physical problems, who never really seem to feel very well, whose bodies seem to be subject to every virus and ailment which comes along, who struggle with diseases which are painful and crippling. Give them the stamina to endure and lead them to those medical personnel and agencies which can help in their situation and touch them by your healing power. Lord God, Holy Father, you set us in families to teach one another and practice the way of love. Oversee our families in such a manner, O God, that fed by your word and held in your spirit, we may forgive one another and give to one another the gifts of joy and courage. Join our families day by day to the wider family of humankind as friends and neighbors in Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. We are thankful for families who give us protection and security throughout the year and a place to renew ourselves for the task in a hostile world. 
We pray for those who look especially on them whose families are in upheaval, who struggle in relationships that seem to destroy instead of renew. Grant them peace and wisdom and love from others who care. We come before you and we ask you to hear us now as we lift these our concerns for ourselves and for our congregation. Grant us all your grace that our awareness of and participation in your kingdom may unite us in hope that we may be agents against despair to our families and to our world. We pray this in Jesus' name, who taught us to say when we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now unto God's gracious mercy and protection, I commit you and the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us today. We hope you have been blessed and God has been glorified. May you have a God-blessed week. We look forward to you joining us again next Sunday and invite your friends to listen.